0: Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 309 and my conversation with longtime Kennesaw State University in Georgia, percussion professor and freelance percussionist John Lawless. We'll get to him shortly. But first up, Marching Mizzou. As mentioned on last week's episode, Marching Mizzou had their first home Thursday night game in seven years. And it was long, but good. The team won over Louisiana Tech, 52-24, in a very typical college football game in that it was a high score and a blowout that took three hours and 45 minutes to play. Yay for long games. But the top story is the band did great. This is the fastest turnaround we've had to be ready for our first game since I've been here, and it went pretty well. Pregame and halftime were successful, and as befitting a first game, we have room for improvement, which is right where you want to be, honestly. Looking forward to our performances next week, including a very exciting chance to perform at halftime at the Kansas City Chiefs game on Thursday night, the 15th. So looking forward to that. And with that, let's get to our conversation with John Lawless. I'm meeting John for the first time, and it was a pleasure. I have to thank previous podcast guest Marcus Hawkins for the suggestion, as he was the one who told me to get in touch with John. John Lawless has been very active as a performer and teacher throughout his entire life and all based in the Atlanta area. He's been on the faculties, Of Clark Atlanta University, the University of West Georgia and Kennesaw State, and has been active as a performer, both with the Atlanta Symphony for a long time, along with his work with the Atlanta Percussion Trio. John's story is, for sure, unique, as his path to full-time teaching takes some unusual twists and turns along the way. So stay tuned for that. And... We'll also get to his active life as a golfer and triathlete in this interview. One more item. We dealt with an enormous amount of technical issues trying to get this thing started. So we ended up going a little shorter than typical, but I think you'll still enjoy all the same. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on August 8th, 2022 it begins right now. All right. Three and a half hours after our originally planned to start. All right. Now we're hungry. Now we're, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's ordering? <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, John, uh, give me a summation of your percussion responsibilities and your, what you're doing percussion-wise at this point.
1: This is my 25th year here at Kennesaw, and I'm in Director of Percussion Studies. Uh, so everything except for drum kit, we have our own drum kit personnel. Used to do it all, um, but there's a jazz major now, so that's awesome. So I do all the uh, the teaching and percussion tech and percussion ensembles um, at this point. And I still, I play actively. So I've been... Gosh, amazing to think about. But I've been subbing with Atlanta Symphony since I was 17, literally. And that was when Robert Shaw was music director and uh, all that. My teacher, Jack Bell, said, you should audition for an extra spot. I said, OK. So I did it as a freshman and uh, have been playing ever since. So lucky there. I'm a timpanist in the Atlanta Opera since 1979. Uh, Georgia Symphony Timpanist, Columbus Symphony Timpanist, uh, Johns Creek Symphony Timpanist. Uh, and whatever freelancing, percussion-wise, around town, so it it stays pretty active. Um, and don't you have a, a percussion trio also? We do. Since nineteen eighty-three, I believe we're still active. Not near as much as before, but you know we used to do thirty-plus school shows every month um, back when we were were all not quite so busy. And now we get together and we'll do some holiday shows and. Um, some world shows for, for schools. That, that was a a huge um, joy to play for. I don't know if you have a trio or anything, you go into schools and play, but we did it through young audiences for the beginning 20 years. Um, And we would go in and do, you know, uh, programs for three to 500 kids and do a few of those in a row. Um, and we had eleven different shows, you know, with the trio that we offered. You know, one just on the history of steel drums, and then we had world music, and then a holiday show, and everything percussion. So it, it enables us to collect all the stuff we like to collect, but then use it actually instead of just hoarding it. <laughs> so lots did, of fun.
0: Did you uh, did you all have a, a Japanese marimba music from the sixties and seventies? Was that one of your your uh, elementary school shows?
1: Oh, the marimba? <laughs> no, we did not. <laughs> Too bad <laughs> yeah, good question though <laughs> well, let's back
0: up to you getting the job at Kennesaw um, where were you? Tell me about the process of getting the job, where you were before then, and the status of
1: the program when you enter it? Oh, that's great questioning i I started teaching college really early on, way earlier than I probably should have. I was Uh, at Georgia state. And, uh, my teacher recommended I, uh, answer a phone call literally from the guy at Clark Atlanta university. Mm -hmm. So I taught there for several years, actually. Um, I was still in school. So I would literally run to the bathroom after my lessons and classes and put on a shirt and a tie and go teach all the kids there who were all older than me. But I had been studying with Jack Bell, you know, since fifth grade, so I knew more than them, and they respected that fact. I and mean, I don't know if Ty helped me at all. I still looked like I was about nine, probably, but uh, nonetheless, taught there, taught at West Georgia. Here's, here's a weird caveat, Pete. I've never really put in for a teaching job. I've been asked to come to all these different places that I teach even to this this point, which is super rare and weird and not going to happen to people anymore. It was a different generation, like when someone would win an orchestral job without even auditioning on a recommendation. Remember those days? That's, that's how Jack Bell got his job, by the way. Robert Shaw called Cloyd Duff and said, I need a principal percussion. Send me somebody. And Jack walked in. His audition was his first rehearsal. That's the way it used to be. So I, I taught at West Georgia for 11 years, University of West Georgia now. Uh, and then Georgia State, my alma mater, for about 10 years, I think right at 10. And then simultaneously started here at Kennesaw. Um, they asked me to come up and and, um, and take over the department. And I said, absolutely. So I taught at Georgia State. And while teaching at Georgia State, my alma mater, uh, I was asked to come up and take over the professor department here at Kennesaw. And at the time, there was one student, maybe one and a half uh, our first percussion ensemble concert was a trio and I was the third member. So it, it, uh, it went like that for a while, it was a smaller university. Um, and then it grew from there. We've got, we had a concert with 31, in the percussion ensemble this past, uh, spring. So it, it, it's grown pretty big and instruments coming out of our ears now, which is pretty fun to think about what we didn't have all those years ago to what we have now. You know, it, it's just been a, a progression the whole time, uh, very joyous.
0: When you walk in, are you having to just kind of piece together equipment, or are what what's the what's the um, what's that situation like?
1: They had a very scant amount of, of equipment. You know, one one marimba, four and a third, one set of four timpani one set of chimes you know all the ones and i i brought some personal equipment up here i had a vibe and a marimba up here and a glockenspiel and you know when it started expanding and then you know we built it from there so i've i've had a lot of different chairs over the years probably same as you that were very supportive um the last uh, the last big purchases we got we got a really nice set of the adams top line timpani and you know all new yamaha marimba bass drum um, vibes, uh, another Marimba one. So we've, we've been able to collect uh, uh, quite a lot over the years, which has been great um, and necessary, as you know. And were there, were there places to put all this stuff? Ah, isn't that always our, our challenge? Yeah. yeah. Well, we have a nice room now. When I got the job, no. Uh, we were all vying for one space and it was also the theater space. So uh, since then, 16 years ago, we built a, a new building, the Bailey Performing Arts Center. So we have a big storage room here and the rehearsal space and the concert hall are in between our storage space. So it works really, really well. You know, the days of going down till an elevator and taking a marimba and putting it up on its end just to go down for a rehearsal. I think we all did that back in the day, but it was just like, uh, you know, what you hate to do. Uh, Those are gone, thankfully. So it's good. (laughs) As your position is building and you're building, you're
0: able to build your studio at Kennesaw. Are you then able to pass off the other job or jobs that you had concurrently?
1: I'm only at Kennesaw as far as university teaching now. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of, you know, once you do, a couple of simultaneously, it it gets a little bit silly and this has grown to where, you know, it's, it's a full-time thing. It has been for a while. So yeah. Yeah. But when you're adjunct, you teach as many places as you can, as you know. So yeah, that's how that went down.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, in your time there, aside from the fact that you you got a new building at some point and you know, you're now at facilities equipment, what other ways has the job changed over the years that you've been there. And now that you're, I would assume one of the, you're no longer the, the, the new person on the block. You're the, as I like to refer, institutional memory. Uh, now. <laughs> it's a nice way of putting it.
1: Something like, yeah, I've seen a lot of people leave, you know, and it's right. like you come in kind of young and you you're you're kind of old when you look around at that point. Yeah, it's changed. It's changed a lot. Obviously, things change. Um, I think the biggest change for me is the, the talent level of the students. I mean, for, there came a time when my incoming freshman, we're only undergrad still. We are trying for a master's program and that's in limbo. But um, my incoming freshman would outplay my outgoing seniors for a time. I mean, it's just, it's just ramped, you know, and, uh, that put everybody on, on thin ice, if you will, you know, so it made everybody a little better immediately. Uh, when I was in college, I remember one of my colleagues, who's still a dear, dear friend, Mike Zabolsky, he went up and studied with Lee Howard Stevens back when that was not even a thing to do. And, uh, he would bring back knowledge and information and we will all get better immediately. You know, um, that's just how it works, I think, with studios. I've got a very tight group of kids. Um, they all hang. They're all very nice to each other, and they're very helpful to each other. Uh, so that's that's always great. There's there's rarely a bad a bad apple in the group, and uh, you know, uh, that's that's I feel very lucky about that because I see other studios and other other colleges where that's not really the case, you know. So I think we're we're super lucky here in that regard.
0: Within those student groups, what's your typical range geographically that your students that you're pulling from? Are you, is it almost
1: entirely in-state? Um, mostly, yes, yes. And there's a lot of big programs here in, in the state of Georgia, especially this Cobb County area, you know, um, the massive programs uh, so we we're very lucky in that regard and it used to be that kennesaw not only percussion but for many of the the uh, studios they would be a place that people would go if they didn't get in somewhere else or if they just wanted to stay home for a minute or two uh, now it's become more of a destination you know the hall we have is beautiful um everything about it, uh, facility wise is great. We, we don't have enough practice rooms who does North Texas maybe, but we don't. Uh, but I worked at where the kids can practice in the big rooms early, early hours where, uh, there's nobody else around. So that works out really well for them as well. But yeah. So yeah, mostly around, uh, I've got some from out of town always, but generally it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, th- this general area, at least the state of Georgia.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the music department and how it functions within the school at large.
1: I mean, I don't know if you want specifics it's It's good. everyone gets along.
0: like is it within and across a, it, the are, are you a school music? are you in a fine arts department? like how does like all that kind
1: of stuff? Yeah. It's the School of Music, definitely uh, within the College of the Arts. So, and we all co mingle quite often. I've done lots of collaborations with, well, now he's a provost, but he was our our dance instructor uh, and then went to Dean, but um, lots of percussion dance collaborations with him, uh, some world premieres, which were uh, amazingly fun. I'm gonna do an art thing with one of the um, acting professors here for our museum. We have a museum uh, right attached to our our, our hall, basically. this one building and uh, there's a big thing coming up where we're gonna do a collaborative thing with the acting and, and, and percussion. She and I are gonna do something. So yeah, it, it it's very nice how it mingles and, and everyone gets along and everyone knows the, what the other schools have to offer and we take advantage of as much as we can, you know? So it's, it's, it's nice. It's collaborative. Very much so.
0: Gotcha. Uh, you said you now have someone who teaches drum set. Is that right? Um, we do. And, yes. but, and, but you, do you do the drum line too, or is that also, that's something else? in a different department that's somebody else
1: altogether. Yeah. That's, that's its own thing. Um, guy named Alan Sears, who's in charge of Atlanta quests, um, amazing, uh, drumline instructor. He, they, they were able to get him. So he still does that over there. And I have an adjunct here, Claire Kenny, uh, that takes the overload of percussion. They won't let me teach a million kids. They cut us off. You know how that goes. And so she's she's here and she's an incredible source for percussion and a wonderful teacher to the kids. So we're excited about that as well. On,
0: on the performance end, which was the one that you've been playing in since 79?
1: That's the Atlanta Opera Orchestra.
0: Okay. So is that of the things that are your performances, is that the one that kind of sets the your schedule so that and then you work whatever else you do fills that out or does it is it different directions
1: it's quite a tetris game as as you know do you freelance a lot with with your situation no, there? I,
0: not necessarily no there's not it's not a huge freelance area where i'm at um, and there's other there's yeah. a lot of percussionists in town so that they do a, so it's okay yeah
1: yeah i for for me it's you know I've i've obviously full-time But then I, we get our contracts and we get our schedules and we try to line everything up with the different orchestras. I've, I've done every season with Atlanta Opera, you know, every production. Um, it's, it's a joyous thing. I, I, I love, I don't like to listen to the opera so much, uh, just as a fun thing to sit and listen to. But when you're involved with it, it's one of the most exhilarating things you can do, especially playing symphony for some reason. It's just, it's just a riot. We're going to do our first ring cycle. We're doing a um for reingold this year at the end of the season so that's the first of the of the cycle so here we go um yeah, yeah. but it's great fun yeah. and, and and you're right juggling all of that is is uh it's crazy uh i play in columbus as well timpani down there and that's that's about two hours south so i've got to really figure that out when those click in you know to to make that work i think that's part of the freelance gig it's just a try to figure out this whole schedule and make it somehow fit. You know, um, it's not simple, but it works.
0: When you play those Columbus gigs are, do you stay
1: overnight or is that a, you go down, come back, go down, come back. (laughs) I go down and come back, go down and come back. Um, and I, we didn't talk about this, but for 21 years, I was Tempest in Chattanooga. And literally, except for when I concertos, I went back and forth to Chattanooga from here every day. Some years I would do 250 trips. I was core for for five years, and so that was just the, the crazy road trip back and forth. Because um, I had, you know, I had trio gigs here, teaching here. I'd go there in the evenings and do rehearsals and shows, and then uh, and then come back. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of used to the road in that regard.
0: But, I, how many cars have you have you run off the road over those years <laughs> you know
1: thank the goodness i i never had an incident as many times That's- as i could and it's funny someone asked me i think a student asked me how well how many miles did you put on going from from here to chenny and i just roughly i roughly guessed like well it's you know blah blah 120 miles one way and i did it and it was well over a million miles i mean 21 years it was crazy yep. so i know i went through six different vans um a couple of cars but mostly it's vans you know how we are um but six for sure and one had 500,000 miles on it so it was pretty crazy <laughs> i know i know my mechanic was like you shouldn't be getting this many miles but most of them were highway miles so yep. I, I got really lucky with that motor um
0: what, yeah. kind, what kind of van was that a lot that? of road tripping you need to you need to sell yeah, that well, i had you need to sell that you information know they don't make to it. whatever company had,
1: <laughs> that was i had um five different astros and uh-huh. one of the yeah. astros it was a chevy yeah. it made it it made it long and yeah it did really well nice it yeah. would have gone longer somebody actually pulled out in front of me and i totaled it But it would have gone longer. I know I could have gotten more out of it.
0: (laughs) It was not a natural death is what
1: you're saying. (laughs) It was a a horribly unnatural death. Exactly. (laughs) And and my my kids, when they realized it was total, they were still kind of young. They were like, well, can we just keep it in the backyard and play in it? Because that was their van. You know, it's (laughs) like, I'm like, (laughs) no.
0: That's going to be bad memories after a point if you leave it around. (laughs) <laughs> oh that's great it's going back to the trio when you start doing that aside is, is that a just an outlet to perform or is there another reason that your that group is going on and, and
1: playing the types of shows it is that all happened I mean we were just getting out of Georgia State undergrad and um, young audiences opened a branch in Atlanta. So we auditioned. We auditioned against the Atlanta Symphony Percussion Group, but they were just doing it as kind of like, oh, we'll do one every now and again. We were all in. So we auditioned, and uh, every year we'd pull up a new show uh, s- specifically about, you know, one angle or the next. Uh, we tried to get curriculum mixed in there, like science and math we mixed in. So very educational, lots of hands-on with the kids. And, yeah, it was it was another... When you're freelancing, it's just the other thing. But it became quite an incredible thing for us involved. I mean, um, we're back to the original group now, uh, the three of us. So we've been playing a long, long, long time together. And it's great fun. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not so much anymore. Um, it was a big moneymaker back then, for sure, because it was so in demand. Um, and we all, you know, we weren't quite so busy as we are now. But um, now it's just, it's just a great fun time to get together and play. You know, it's still we still make the money. But, you know, if we do uh, five, ten schools a year now, you know, just for special stuff, it's still so much fun to get together and play. The hardest part is of course loading all the crud in, you know, showing up with three big loads of equipment, and getting them in at six thirty in the morning to a gym or, a, you know, an auditorium and then you know, we always say we're, we're getting paid to bring this junk in. We'll play for free, but right. you're going to pay us to bring this in. You know.
0: <laughs> and who who are the well, other? Was, and so, who are the other members? And what have they? What's been their kind of? Are they like just uh, freelance performers in the area, or they have like their own gigs as well?
1: Yeah, pretty much freelance. So Scott Douglas had the idea way back and approached me. And at the time there was a gentleman here. You may know him, Steve Hemphill.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: I've I've talked to him on the show. He was the original. Okay. He was the original member of the percussion trio, Atlanta percussion trio. Okay. So it was Scott, myself and steve and then steve went down to uh, gary widersheim for the state and got his doctorate yeah. and then we had to fill you know the spot so karen hunt is our third member and she came out of the group to have children and all and then she came back into the group so the three of us are, are back at it so she was the second year of his existence she was our third player and she's back so we're that's the trio so scott douglas and karen hunt um, it's a great it's a great work and they're freelancers yeah scott does you know uh they both play the ballet um scott does a lot of the the shows that come through um he's a ridiculous steel drum player he studied with you know he, he's been to trinidad several times and played with uh, you know phase two pan groove when they won he was in there playing with them when they did woman as boss it's crazy so he brings that experience to uh to the trio when we do steel tunes they're real he's got ellie pans pants and the whole thing so it's it's uh it's great fun
0: that's great. We're going to kind of come back around, but let's back up. So, John, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up here, believe it or not. Uh, there aren't many of us really from, from this area. I was born in Fort McPherson, which is down at East Point, south of town. And I ended up you know, going to Georgia State, which uh, a lot of folks were like, yeah, you should go somewhere else. Well, I, I knew I wasn't really through. I don't know how to word that any better, but but I, I, I knew I could gain a lot more from Jack Bell. I had been with him early on, and he's principal with Atlanta, and the luck of the draw was, you know, as a, as a freshman going to my sophomore year, he said, you should do a, an audition for the extra position. I said, sure. He said, you know, at least to get on the list. And I was absolutely. So I worked up, you know, the end of Rider Spring bass drum, Porgy and Bass, Goldenberg 7-4, weird, a weird um, audition list. But nonetheless... And I was in the trap room of, of ASO, and the, all the percussionists were sitting there watching me play. Very informal, but it was quite nerve-wracking, as you can imagine. And at the end, they all came over and shook my hand and said, you know, hey, good job. And they all left. And I thought, well, I'm, I get to get on the list someday and maybe play someday. And like two weeks later, the personnel manager calls and says, hey, we, we need you to play uh, if you can. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Really? It was like, oh my god! And the the weirdest thing, he was the first thing I got to play with ASO was Benvenuto Cellini, the overture at the opera Berlioz. I played timpani mm. with with Paul Jancic. So mm. Paul Jancic was timpani at the time, and Billy Wilder, the, and I was the third person. They had three three distinct drums, three parts, and that was my first experience playing extra with ASO. Was playing timpani. I've not done that overture since. <laughs> Never, isn't that crazy? I One and done, live in my entire life. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, and that was Robert Shaw, and yeah. you know, I little did I know what kind of pond I was swimming in at that point. You know, it was just like, oh my, I just just played, and um, and it went well, and there you have it. You know, from from then on, it was just hang on tight. So, but yeah. Gotcha.
0: So, um, do you have any
1: family members in the arts? Oh, well, my wife, uh, yeah, she's a very talented violinist, um, studied at CIM, and uh, does a lot of freelancing and teaching here in town, also plays with the opera, she's principal second with the ballet, um, so yeah, she's she and I, uh, we, we, we get to play a lot together, which, you know, it's a joy, did a lot of shows together, we did Phantom, you know, a couple hundred times when it came through, um, but, uh, you know, when you have small, we had small children at the time, And when you're both on the same gigs and they're weird scheduling, that's a that's a hard thing to figure out. You know, now they're twenty one and twenty three. So it's a a different world we're in. But uh, yeah. So but my parents know they always supported what I did, but never, uh, never really understood fully what it was that we were doing or what I was doing. They just supported it, which is what you need. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you end up getting the bug? There's a picture of me when I was two w- with the snare drum. My aunt gave me one, much to my parents' chagrin. They were just like, you're kidding. You're giving him a drum? You're kidding. And I think one picture I have is a I have a football helmet on, and I'm playing the drum, you know, like, what on earth? But— um, Like you would
0: do for the rest of your career. Wait, maybe not.
1: Exactly. <laughs> or maybe you should do for the rest <laughs> right. of <the> your
0: career. <laughs> Depends how those, uh, how those school <laughs> gigs go, John. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly oh no but i uh i was lucky i grew up in fulton county um where atlanta is located the biggest county and um literally there was a a, an honor band i was in third grade i played in this honor band so i i started really getting interested in it and when we moved from fulton county we moved next to the high school band director and that was kind of it you know at I didn't turn back. So, um, st- and it's funny. Uh, my first, first teacher was the guy that went to Jack state, uh, Jacksonville, uh, in, in, Jacksonville, Alabama. So Jack state university. And, uh, he was a tenor player and we were working on something out of the Goldenberg book. And he said, okay, hotshot, you need to, that's as far as we're going to go. I need you to, to contact my teacher, Jack Bell and get on his list. And that was it. So had he not done that, he kept taking, you know, my parents' money, which I didn't think I was near done with him. He was amazing. And I was learning tons. But he saw something. He's like, yeah, you need to get with Jack. And that was it. So, you know, from, what, fifth, sixth grade, I, I got to study with Mr. Bell. And that was, that was the end of that, you know. And then stayed with him through college and then got to play beside him for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of concerts. So uh, it, was, it was great.
0: It, are you doing all percussion or are you focusing on like orchestral instruments? What's the, what's the focus with, with Jack?
1: Yeah. I mean the honor band thing, I was pretty much playing a snare drum, mm-hmm. you know, third, fourth. And then when I, when I got with um, Tommy a little bit, but with Jack for sure, we hit everything and hit it all pretty equally at that point. Um, you know, I was burning through the Wilcox and books rudimentally. And that took me into a different course, uh, of, of action as far as doing drum corps. You know, I ended up marching spirit of Atlanta. So, uh, I think that what I did with Jack, as far as the, the, just the traditional rudimental stuff probably enhanced or was made it able for me to go and slide over into drum corps, um, pretty successfully. That was a big part. I did five years with spirit. So, uh, back in the day, Tom float, um, uh, was a pretty incredible drumline instructor um, back in the day, uh, so I got lucky with that. But yeah, we we focused on on everything uh, as as you should. Um, drum set too. Uh, drum, drum set for sure. Yeah, yeah, all the Chapin. Yeah, um, uh, Ted Reed. We did all that stuff in in our normal lessons. Which yeah, I think back on it, it was it was quite a action packed you know childhood really. But yeah, loved it.
0: Yeah. Well uh, I mean I'm thinking that if uh, you know just thinking about the range of instruments you could do because it's not as common to do it's very common I mean some of my background was I was snare drum drum set for 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 many yeah. many years but not that's it because sure. like I didn't have anything else you know it's like um, so w- w- were you able to do mallets too
1: yeah, and Jack, you know, like I said earlier, with with Mike Sibolski going up and studying with Lee, a lot of those techniques, you know, when we started really getting into the four-mallet stuff, uh, we were doing it ourselves. You know, Jack Jack was an incredible two mallet player, obviously, and could hold four. And, and get, he got he survived a lot of repertoire, as you can well imagine when uh, if something's flying at you with uh, with a bigger orchestra like that. You gotta you gotta you know turn it and burn, and he could do that. Um, he could turn it on like nobody's business. But but as far as just, you know, playing rep and whatnot, uh, for Marimba, we did that a lot of it was on our own. Um, but you know, um, very early on I started studying timpani exclusively with Paul Jancich and that made a huge difference in my my timpani. Um, love you know something about something about timpani you, you either you're really drawn to it or you're not you know it's whatever uh, I think and I've had students they're, they're drawn to it you know and you can you can see when it's when it's coming in like that you know there's something about timpani that kind of gets gets in you um, it happened to me early on so I was lucky in that regard I think
0: was Paul through the symph- like was he also with the with that same symphony that that you're you're connected. oh yeah yeah
1: yeah he was timidus with the Atlanta Symphony, um he auditioned and won the job when Robert Shaw was here played I forget how many years but when Mister Duff retired from Cleveland, um, I think five people were invited to audition he was one and he won that job so from eighty eighty what would it be eighty two eighty three I think is when he. Uh, went and uh, you know took over that position, um, probably eighty two, and then then Mark Yanchits, who's still the tempest in Atlanta, he came. Uh, so he just had to change the first name on the uh, on the checks <laughs> from Paul to Mark.
0: <laughs> nice. So. In those days, when you are um, part of Spirit, how, how is that? Is that when they're doing the the travel part? Is still are you going all across the country? yeah, with that guy, (laughs) you said that you're like, he he thinks about how much he does not want to do that.
1: (laughs) Actually, you know what? So did you ever march core?
0: No, I didn't do core. Did you do that? No.
1: Okay. there's something about it. And I've talked with people that, that have that marched. You know, I did five years. I taught one year. I wrote I wrote the book one year and taught that year in 83 as well. And um, something about the smell of diesel. Like, if I go now to a truck stop and I'm filling up at one of those Buckies or whatever, I smell diesel and it's like, it reminds you of a tour. It's so crazy, man. And it's not bad memories. It's like, oh, there's something about, I've talked to kids that, that markets now. I said, there's something about as busy as we all are. The moment you get onto a tour and that bus door shuts and all you have to think about at that point is whatever the next show is and whatever the next town is, and you're just doing the drum corps thing, there's something super gratifying about that or relaxing or I don't know what it is, but you have a single focus and that I I long for that now because I have too many things that I'm focused on at all times. But I remember it was always when the door shut, like... And I'm like, yeah, let's go. You know, where are we going? I don't care. Let's go. (laughs) Well,
0: you you probably (laughs) have a lot more things right now that you're interested in than you may have been
1: interested in back then. uh, You know what? I was always interested in, in everything. You talk about like like focus. I I also uh, really got into hand drumming like big time. Uh, I used to drum with an African group every every Saturday for four hours playing djembe They would just hand you a rhythm, you stay on it. All the dancers are happening. Invaluable stuff. And I I studied quite a bit of congas. Um, And I I actually work that through my studio with all of my kids also. But I think my biggest goal for everyone, everywhere I've taught, certainly here now that the level is going kind of crazy is I don't want anybody to have any weaknesses. If they have to do a conga job, they're going to have conga hands. I mean, they are, Um, you know, all the accessories they are going to be comfortable. I'm not, I don't turn out a marimba soloist or a tiffany soloist. Everyone does it all. And uh, I think that's, I mean, that's been my philosophy always, but I think I did that as well. I can remember, gosh, leaving Georgia State and running in to have a conga lesson with somebody, you know, and um, running back and teaching it the next day or something, you know, just crazy like that, trying to stay one step ahead of, of the curve. But I always had that thirst. I think even back in the day when I was, you know, doing the drum corps thing, I always wanted to do kind of everything, you know, realize how big the percussion world was. Um, and it wasn't daunting to me at that point. It was just like, you know, wow, what's next? You know, I have a 15 by 45 warehouse space. It's just full of everything you can imagine just because, you know, we have to have it all. So, yeah, but it's fine. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> I, it sounds great. And I, it seems like also that because you're an undergrad, maybe that i just kind of relating back to your, main job, but because you're in an, at an all undergrad situation, the goal there is you have them for this time that it's like, it's upon you to whenever they come in, you diagnose the things like, okay, you've never done, you've done almost no drum set. We're going to, that's going to be massive focus or, you know, you haven't done any hand percussion, but you've got a lot of, like, it seems like you have to spend a good amount of time. Like, first of all, like laying out, this is everything you're going to do all this stuff. And I need to kind of push you in these directions to get caught up.
1: There's time, you know, if we have four years, there's a lot of time. I make sure that they can get all the basic stuff. And a big requirement also is that they hold their head up in the orchestra and the wind ensembles and wind symphonies and all that stuff. So if they have to bring in that repertoire, we'll we'll. Take a sidebar and do that. No big deal, uh, but there's time. I think uh, you do. You do um, uh, upper level as well. I think where where you teach. Um, uh, I uh, having a focus on just undergraduates. I think that one of my biggest joys. I mean, literally, I've said this to different people along the way is to watch these kids come in, and they're kids for the most part. They think they know everything, and they realize very quickly they don't. And then this journey to get to know things again happens. And I and literally, I was someone—I I, I, have these people come in and they're 17, sometimes 16, 17, 18. And then in the course of my time with them, they become adults. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. its a, its an incredible gift, isn't it? I mean, to get to, to see this happen. I just, you know, hung out. I've got an alumni concert coming up this month, actually the 29th, a bunch of people coming back from year one all the way till like somebody graduated just a few months ago, and we're doing a concert. Uh, never done it before, um, but I was just working with one of my uh, graduates, Joe Donahue. He's a he's a percussion force, and he's helping me, you know, set things up and sending things out to people. And uh, but I watched him. I started with him when he was 13, 14. And he came through the program and, and became an adult. And it's just like now he's just ruling the world. It's so much fun to see people, you know, when you knew them when. And I mean, I've mean, i got one, one student that's in Vienna now just lighting it up. Um, and she came here when she was 17. Ended up going to McGill for her master's. Went to Switzerland for uh, an actual Fulbright. And then uh, now has a doctorate. And she's in Vienna at one of those art houses. And she plays Germany all the time. And, you know, it's just it's crazy but but you know it puts kind of, kind of a, a validation on what you do you know it's like you you see the success out there and it's like okay well somebody did something right obviously the person did the student but you know you were pushing along the way in the right direction i think for you know it gives you validation so it's it's kind of cool you know you you yeah. deal with it all the time
0: yeah, yeah that's that's great i was I, in my head i was thinking of, of the times when you have a uh... I was thinking like, I, I remember a, and I know you've had this happen where like a high school student, you, you know, you met them like super long ago or whatever. And then like, they, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, like they get married and then they have kids and you're like, okay, this is, this is all weird. <laughs> you were, you yeah. were like 11 when I met you. you know, whatever. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that many times I've seen that actually. Yeah. 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 For sure.
0: it's like you're not allowed you're not old enough you're not oh wait
1: (laughs) yeah if you're that old how old am i right right. yeah Yeah. don't answer that (laughs) (laughs) um
0: when you're growing up and you're doing you're you're taking all these percussion lessons and Um, orchestra. You, you have a lot, clearly a lot of experience from a young age, but are you also involved? Is there anything else that you're doing to filling out your time or, or or have we covered all of your time when you were growing up, when you were like,
1: yeah, I got really into triathlons. Oh, (laughs) that's that's kind of a left face, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) You got got into in high school. Well, just after I got into running and then, um, uh, Kind of simultaneously to undergrad, I, I I got into running and then that kind of worked its way into to tries. Uh, like when it was like a really early sport. The the first race I did, which I'm hard to believe now, was also an Ironman qualifier. So those you know first three spots you qualified Iron, which is impossible now to get into the Ironman, the the, the one in Kona. But um, yeah, I did I did hundred a lot of triathlons, um, never did an iron. I did a lot of half irons. So my student, uh, I was just talking about Joe. He was talking about tattoos. He's got quite a few. And when you get each tattoo, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to get one unless I do a full Ironman. And then I'll get like a little, IM on one of my calves. Probably then yeah. that'll be my extent of tattooisms. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I haven't done it yet. You know, I've got to get myself back on the uh, on the street if I'm gonna do that. But yeah, that was a big that was a big deal. I, I enjoyed it very much. It was a quite a distraction from music, as you can well imagine. But um I love the game. I love the whole triathlon thing. Um it was it was very fun. Yeah.
0: Where where did you do the swimming? Where did you like
1: work on the swimming? <laughs> oh yeah, wherever you can. I mean for, for the beginning I lived in Almost downtown Atlanta in Piedmont Park, where we play a lot of symphony concerts, uh, had an outdoor pool that the Y actually ran. I did my first actual mile in the pool. And it's funny, the lifeguards watching me, I, I would run to the pool 6.30 in the morning and I'd get in the pool by 7 when they opened. And I would do a length and then sit and breathe for a while and a length and sit and breathe for a while and a Is it a 50, a a 50 meter and, pool? Oh, it was 25 yards so oh, yards just, okay and i would go boom boom boom, yeah, yeah. Yeah, boom. Yeah. You know, so it takes like 72 <laughs> 72 to get a mile in and uh i remember seeing her flip-flops one one morning early and she said so what are you getting ready for i said well a, a triathlon she said how long do you have to swim i said 1.2 miles she said do you want some help or do you think you got this on your own <laughs> Uh-oh. i said i i love some help so she told me, she said, you're, you're using all your energy in your legs. Just don't kick your legs. And I went from doing like maybe two lengths and having to stop and breathe to like 20. And I jumped out and gave her a hug. I said, you save my life. And then I did like within three days, I was doing a mile every morning. It was crazy. I mean, it was technique, like what we do, like what we do, you know, it's technique and i didn't realize that applied to swimming as well (laughs) but it certainly did it was it was incredible so yeah i was lucky i had that that pool and and that sweet her name was karen i'll remember that and uh and she helped me survive my triathlon my first one certainly Uh, but yeah and you'd bike wherever now i live really close to uh one of the converted rails it's the silver comet trail here and you can literally bike pretty much without problem for about 127 miles one way oh, like you can go into alabama and it's incredible yeah so that's that's where you want to train you know so you're not in traffic and define everything logical about being on the road with cars all around you know do you do anything like that do you um
0: i'm train I, or I, I i don't i haven't I've, I've swam like in our rec center but i've the biking thing i don't i i think i would need I, i'm not my back is not like good enough to do yeah. the ride that in that way like i i would have to have a yeah. bike that i could sit like up which is not a yeah. triathlon bike I, I already know that <laughs> um, in,
1: in 120 miles uh, sitting up might be a, a bit of a stretch or right right
0: so um <laughs> no i do a lot of running um and i've but the thing what what you were making me think about is is the the pool thing can be hilarious particularly if we have a um we have a, tw- a we have a, a 25 and a 50 meter area in our yeah configuration in a, in our rec center and i almost never want to run on the 50 cuz like i have like you get if you're used to running on a 25 meter you do a 50 and you're like I'm gonna die. I think I might not even make it a lap because it just you don't you don't I think about how far it is. You know those <laughs> Olympic swimmers make it seem like it's a piece of cake to go to do a lap. Yeah,
1: yeah, 50, 50s pretty contentious. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, that's hilarious. So have you do is that still something? The uh, is the Iron Man like a like a legit goal?
1: It is, yeah. I, <clears throat> I I, did one particular race uh, down a little south of here in Calvary Gardens. I did it 32 years in a row. <laughs> so I, I did that every year. Um, haven't done it in a few. Um, COVID kind of squashed a lot of things, sure. but I had some weird heel things. You probably had heel things if you run a lot. So now I'm nervous to go out and do big miles. So I just had to pull myself back into the uh, – get the right equipment, get the right shoes and whatever I need to do that. And then I, I think I – I have to take a year to uh, just train for the iron and do it. I just gotta find what year it's gonna be. I'm 62 now, so I have some time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, yeah. That's sure. <laughs> true. Yeah. Uh,
0: what, what do you think? I'm curious of the of the three. What do you think is the one the one part that's gonna be the toughest to get all the way up, training wise?
1: All of them are doable, but mm-hmm. to put them all together on one day. Right, You know, that's, that's your key. All the half irons I've ever done. So it's a 1.256 and a half marathon, 13.1. At the end of each segment on the actual races, I'm thinking, yeah, I couldn't have doubled that one today. Or yeah, I wouldn't have done 112 miles on the bike today. You know, so it's gotta be that, you know, the long, long and go. That's why it's going to take about a year to really get that ready, but they're all really doable. Yeah. I mean, marathon, have you run a marathon? A couple, yeah, so that distance even hurts. I mean, the next day, trying to do stairs and all, it's like, yeah. oh, oh. <laughs>
0: as you remember
1: <laughs> yeah. but so my, it's, just, it's just condition
0: my uh my brother, one of my brothers has hey, he and I have not run a marathon in a long time, but um, he was just like, if there is a and I know you know this too, you're like, if there is a massage person, like you you get that done immediately after that, yeah. right. <laughs> like you will you yeah. want to feel like rubber after that thing because you will be stiff as a
1: board <laughs> <laughs> my my first marathon was uh in thanksgiving uh, time mm-hmm. and um, there used to be a thing they would light the great tree to riches uh, what's well, macy's now but riches downtown and we took the the rail system marta and they had these escalators that would go up and they were probably you know 200 steps up yeah. and just after the marathon, I get to the escalator, and it broke. And I had to walk up those stairs, 200 of them. <laughs> it's like, and someone's in the back me pushing, you can do it, you can do it. I'm like, ah! everything hurt, man. Everything hurt, as you know. Because I basically did the marathon, and we went down to this thing. So I was still, like, you know, toasted. But, yeah, oh, yeah. The Massage would have been great. Yeah. <laughs> nice.
0: When you start uh, taking at the college level, okay, so you're obviously, this is the same teacher you've had for a long time, but it's a different environment. Did, did it feel like a different environment?
1: Oh, when I was with Jack Bell? Yeah, in college, the college portion. In my my experience. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because um, it's the same teacher. So, I think we just carried on. I mean, to be quite frank, um, I was already, you know, where very quickly I was playing with the symphony. So I'm already doing repertoire uh, and getting ready for stuff. Um, but we were just, we were just carry on. It was interesting. Uh, we, whatever book we hadn't finished yet, we'd finish it as I started the college. Uh, and then we get into, you know, orchestral excerpts uh, for sure. But yeah, it didn't feel like suddenly I was in college and everything changed the environment was very similar because i was the same exact studio that i studied with him i would go to georgia state and study with him as a kid you know so yeah it, it wasn't like a black and white situation it kind of morphed into like oh you're getting older here let's you know and the more i had to audition or play what have you that would that would dictate a lot of our our sessions for sure but yeah good question
0: when you finish when you finish the undergrad What's the next thing for you? I'm just thinking timeline.
1: Well, okay. So you're going to get an earful. Um, okay. My journey was different than anyone I've ever known. So that's all I got was an undergrad. So when I finished at Georgia State, I was already teaching university level, uh, playing with Atlanta Opera, playing with all the different orchestras that I play with. So I didn't go on. I didn't leave town. I stayed. Um, Was it smart? I don't know. You know, looking back, I don't know. But to have given up everything to come back and try to get it again would have been a little bit, I think, like, you know, um, not very wise, at least in my situation. I was doing a lot of recording with Atlanta, um, a lot of performing in town, a lot of the shows. So I just opted to stay and then never really went back. So, and I thought, well, that's okay. I won't, I won't really ever pursue a legitimate like crazy college experience teaching and that's okay. And then everything kind of came to me as I told you earlier, you know, I, every, every place I've ever uh, been on faculty, they've asked me to come teach. So um, yeah, the journey just continued for me. I did not go on to get uh, upper degrees. You know, so again, that's not traditional or standard. That's very much like when Jack came in for his first, you know, rehearsal. And that was his audition. I mean, that was it was almost on that era uh, equivalent, you know? Yeah. But, well, it's interesting
0: because you're I've had this happen a few times where even at young ages, um, some of the guests I've had have have had they were doing. Almost graduate level work, high school and college, like you know, sure. and yeah. uh, and it seems like for you because you were already doing so much with expanding your own, uh, you know, percussion universe. It's almost like your experience is what is is the the grad degree, and you were already you already had jobs, so it's not like right. On the outside, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense when you kind of explain right. the levels.
1: I remember going in when, when Jack asked me to come teach alongside of him at Georgia State. Yeah. Um, he said, we'd like a timpani and hand drum specialist. So I said, sure, that sounds great. I had to meet with the dean just to make it legit, right? And okay. I was like, I took my resume in, and I was nervous. Even though they asked me to teach, I'm I'm like... Oh. And so he he's looking at my paper and he goes, mm-hmm. "So you graduate from here, okay?" And that's that's it. I said yes, sir. He goes, and he looks at all of the you know the recordings with ASO and the Atlanta Opera, and he goes, "Oh my goodness, you're kind of PhD on paper here, aren't you?" Uh, with experience, he said, "We're so lucky to, to have you here." And then for the next forty five minutes, we talked about playing golf in Hawaii. It's like that was it. I mean, he said, I understand you're a golfer. And I said, yes. And then he said, have you played over on the Big Island? I said, yes. <laughs> so we literally, we talked about golf. And then he shook my hand and said, so glad you're here. Bizarre. But yeah.
0: Oh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, it, Not do you, normal. Do you still play?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> what's your, what's your handicap? Oh wow! So you play, obviously. I no,
0: I don't, but I used to caddy for it forever.
1: So I'm. Oh well, I grew up on a course, so I should be a lot better. I, I had a six for many, many years. Um, great, but now I just have fun. We play. We play a little course now. A colleague of mine um it's many like 14 par 3s, four par 4s and i can often par that one. I'll do a couple birdies and maybe a bogey here and there but I'll come in pretty much even par. That's not fair. You know, it's not a it's not a huge course. Yeah. But it's so much fun to work on a short game. So yeah, i i can shoot par golf. So if i'm playing just that little course, i'm almost a zero, almost. But that's awesome.
0: <laughs> What's your uh
1: I do enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Do do you have a uh, so? Are you not a big driver, or are you just like you just don't play on courses that require a big drive?
1: Well, I I do like to drive. I I always joke with my friends. I said I'm going to hit this as hard as I can. Let's see what happens. I always go all in as hard as I can hit it. And if I you know if I'm not slicing too bad that day, it'll go. You know, I, I don't think I can squeak out a, a 300 yarder unless it's all downhill. But <laughs> I mean, I can hit a pretty solid. 240, 250 probably. So no, I'm not huge compared to what the guys are doing now out there. My yeah. gosh, you know, but I, I do enjoy the game and I've never, I played with my dad. So I was, I was playing with my dad when I was three and four, like, you mm-hmm. know, popping balls with him. And um, I played all my life. So it's a game you can play your entire life, which is this, this uh, wonderful dad and I played, uh, I think we played our last round. When he was 93. He passed at 94, but we had a great round at 93 how many sports can you do that with, you know, hardly anything. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I do love it. Do you caddy? That's pretty impressive.
0: Uh, Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Once I was done, once I was done with that, I was like, that's it. I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) It was a gig. (laughs) It was a gig and it it paid very well. Um, But yeah, I, I, I did, I'll put it this way. Like it did not make me enjoy the game to caddy for it. It was, it was, uh, there was a lot of, I was, sure. the people I was counting for, not my favorite people. I'll just put.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I got very lucky. Our our head of the uh, president of the board with the opera uh, mm. belongs to a really exclusive country club here. He says we have to play. I said sure, anytime. So we worked it out, and I had a caddy. He he got me a caddy, mm. and I'll never forget this because really quickly the caddy knew my game or lacked that thereof. And right. and we're we're at a par five, and I'm so far away, and he goes um, I had I think I probably had a. I don't know, a three iron in my hand. He goes, you need your five wood. I said, no. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he talked me into it. You know, yeah. he knew my game already. I, right. I hit a five wood. It was right where I wanted it. He goes, yeah, your three it wouldn't be good for you. Like, okay.
0: <laughs>
1: nice. So I listened to him. <laughs> that's what.
0: That's a good cat. They, I hope they got a good tip. That's, that's exactly the,
1: they did. Um, yeah. 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 It was a good caddy.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: they, they cause they're the supposed job. to know the course. That's the whole point like right well maybe, and then quickly they should know your game
0: yes yeah yeah it's yeah, yeah, good sure. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, i do wonder with the fact that you only have a um a bachelor degree even though you you have a ton of experience but what's that meant in terms of are you able to get promoted mm-hmm. like what's what's been because that's always a that seems to be a conversation that I would assume you have to have with lots of your admin on a regular basis.
1: Not really. Um, okay. I went from adjunct to half time to three quarter time to full time to lecturer, and now I'm senior lecturer. So it's, it's as far as we'll go. I mean, that's it. Uh, and that's, that's perfect. The, the head of the jazz department here is also a senior lecturer. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few of yeah. us. And I think that the, that the situation there is to have someone that's out there playing to yeah. teach people how to play, not just someone that's really, really book smart, you know, or, or has done all the degrees. So, you know, is it, is it better? I'm sure it's not better, but uh, for me, it's, 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 it's been a, a wonderful situation, but you know um, I think that position, the senior lecturer. I don't know if you guys have lecturers where yeah. you are, but it's it's great, you know, and I can do meetings if I want to. But they re, they request me to be on the search thing here or there, and I'm more than happy to do it. But I'm not obligated to, you know. So that's, I've got friends that are in every meeting you can imagine, uh, in every search and every, 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 it's just like, Oh my Lord. So, um, yeah. So I, I was, again, I feel like everything about my journey has been being in the right place, at the right time and being very lucky. Uh, I mean, I've done work, I've done, I've done what I needed to do, I think in, in instances, but all, you know, it, it's not traditional. And I, you know, I, my kids now that want to teach college, they pretty much know they have to go get a PhD. My daughter wants to teach criminology and she's finished. She's about to start her master's and she knows she has to go long. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just the way things are. Um, but she's accepted it. And all my guys, you know, they're all looking where they're going to go next and all this and that. So I, I try to get them ready for that next journey. Um, and they ask me what my journey and I'm like, well, don't, don't base anything on my journey. It's not going to be like what you do. <laughs> I mean, it's just the world doesn't exist like that anymore at this point. Uh, yeah. So.
0: You have the situation where, you know, in if because you've been on search committees, you know, this as well that you can just say has a doctorate, doesn't have a doctorate, and you can two piles
1: oh, for sure.
0: Yeah. and just yeah, like for that's sure. where we're beginning.
1: <laughs> right. Right. ABD. Nope. That's not going to cut it. We're not, we're not looking for that. No. Um, yeah. And you know what? Like I said to you right off the bat, I've, I've never, Applied, right? I mean, that's goofy and weird, but, um, everything. And it's almost like that. like my, my, one of my dear friends own his owns his own HVAC business. He does not really advertise it's word of mouth mm-hmm. and he's busy constantly. Yeah. And I think that that whole, yeah. whatever, whether you call it a word of mouth, or not, you know, that, that when someone knows what you do and wants you to come do it in their their university or their their school, uh, that's how my my life played out. You know, uh, always always friends. Um, I remember when I when I, I I taught here and then I I told my my chair at the time that I was very busy and couldn't teach. I was an adjunct, and then he he said let's have lunch and we had lunch and he offers me a halftime position but with benefits and I said and at the time I was spending about fourteen hundred bucks a month for insurance. Uh, just for my family and so that's a lot to come out of your checking account every month and he said um i said you can't do that with a halftime position he said brother if i hadn't already done it i wouldn't be here having lunch with you you want to you want to i said okay let's do it so you know it 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 just kept morphing into uh, what it is now which is you know the lecture senior lecture so but again very lucky
0: yes but it also is. I think you have acknowledged that maybe you probably were like, "I'm fine being here. Like this is where I grew up. I know this area." So maybe you, I mean, did you did you sit there and go, "I should look," or were you just like, "I'm I'm fine," or or Hank, before you answer that, um, had you no? Because so, no, because there's one other element of this, which is you going for maybe trying to get like a principal percussion or a timpani position mm.
1: at some other orchestra, which would, that would necessitate sure. a move. Yeah. I, I actually thought that I would win a big job somewhere at some point. And um, that's like one of those things like life is happening as you're waiting on something else to happen. You right. know, it's like, you don't realize what but you're in it. Um, I mean, I auditioned, uh, Chicago, auditioned Cleveland, um, I auditioned for Honolulu a million years ago. Um, I uh, never had uh, with Atlanta. I auditioned for two of the positions that they uh, offered up. Uh, one, when Tom Sherwood won and the other one when uh What was the other one? I, I must've been Charles Settle's position when, when he played and, you know, I didn't have my best day either of those days or any of the days that I was taking the big auditions. And, uh, and then you just kept doing my thing, you know? So yeah, I was perfectly willing and uh probably expecting early on to win a big job somewhere and be, be out of here, but it didn't happen. And and that afforded me all of the different things I've gotten to do. So I think for me, I'm not speaking for anybody else. It's been a better ride to be able to do all the things that I've been able to do. Cause I mean, I'm probably on 75 plus ASO recordings, the big stuff, you know, all the Carminas and the Berlioz Requiems and the Belshazzar's Feast and Chichester, all the big things I'm on. Um, so I've had that experience. And I, I love, like I said, playing opera. If I got a symphony job somewhere, I would have drastically missed playing opera it's a different gig, you know, completely. So I, I feel like, you know, I keep saying I'm lucky, but I feel like I, in some ways it's, it's better for me that I didn't win Honolulu or I didn't win, you know, wherever, because I, I built a thing here and, and kept it going and I've, you know, I've enjoyed it immensely, uh, literally. When you, when you had those opportunities to, um, to apply
0: and to to audition for those orchestras did you enjoy the process of building that like did you enjoy practicing that lit in that way to be competitive in those
1: that's that's a tough have you done that you probably have
0: I've no, no I've not done the orchestral route and I'm fine with yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, man. It's, it's a game. I mean, it's a game and it's, you, you got to go all in. I, I, I had Chris DeVinney here to do a clinic for my guys and somebody asked him, you know, how many auditions did you take? And he said, do you really want to know? <laughs> you know, And he, he told him and he told him all the auditions he took and, and he's so smart about things. He kept track of all the money he spent on the audition trail, all the flights, all the hotels, all the cars. And he said, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. But at the end of that, I've got my dream job. I've got my teacher's job at Philadelphia. So was it worth it? Yes, for me it was. But it was grueling and inhumane. And, you know, everything about it was like a torture chamber because you'd come a runner-up or you'd get through the screen or you'd get, you know... A uh, cut at the end Or they take nobody On your best day you played And it's just like Oh I enjoyed being in that zone When I was in it I, I really did And I work with kids now We have auditions coming up On Thursday And they're doing some rep um, Yeah I did enjoy it it's, it's Yeah You have to You have to have blinders on though it Almost you can't do anything else Right And those are the guys That are winning I think Right I mean They're They're the ones So Yeah I don't miss it though.
0: I don't think. Right. That's what's kind of fascinating about, about that. It just knowing that that's just a different, it's a different method of practicing. I've talked to n- numerous people over the years who, who, who have done that for a bit and have just been like, I'm so glad. That that's done. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, and I think there's other people who it's, I wouldn't say it's easy to get in, but there it's like a, it's just like, all right, well, this is what I'm doing and mode locked or whatever, you know, or unlocked. Right. Right. Over the years when you had done, uh, particularly when you were starting out doing the percussion trio concerts, jump on that for a sec. Did you all just have all the instruments? Had you accumulated a lot of stuff over the, like early on? And that was like, we could, we could actually do this because- we just have all of our things.
1: Yeah, yeah. For the most part, um, we had quite a few things. When I graduated, basically, gosh, getting out of college, I my collection was pretty scant. Uh, Scott Douglas had quite a bit more stuff, and and I I collected pretty feverishly. I you know you know when you see something, you have to have it in our world. So I've got a pretty pretty big collection of everything now. Um, not to brag. Uh, it, it's just what we needed, you know, and we use it daily. I mean, Bell, yeah, I've got a few. Um, you know, we, we use all that stuff. So, but it, but I think it was just, you know, over time, certainly we would, you know, do a new show and we'd have some kind of a world thing. And so we'd buy taiko drums. We'd, you know, do this or do that. So we'd, we'd add as we needed to go in that regard. But yeah, I mean, when there's three people that are freelancing, there's a lot of stuff. Right off the bat, as far as equipment, so but yeah, I ended up getting a big sound system, so I was a sound system guy. That added a whole other situation, but you know, anyway.
0: <laughs> All right, John, I finish up with the segment called Random Ask Questions.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: All right. First, I'm going to go like this. Yes, probably. Yeah, but hopefully, baby wants. Well, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> as he covers the screen. Um, our first question is What's an issue percussion performance or percussion education, or both, depending, but something that gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts?
1: Wow, that's random, isn't it? I'm blocking first, first moment I've been blocked. Next question. I don't know. Isn't that funny? I, I don't have things that get under my skin too bad. And that's kind of embarrassing. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I don't like mean people. I think, I think, you know, like, like, um, some conductors will come through and they, uh, they're really mean, unwarranted, you know, mean. I don't like that. Um, I tell you what, I tell you what, I'm involved with right now, and I don't know how specifically, but um, people that promise one thing in our world, freelance world, and like, like checks at the end of a big thing, and then you don't get them. And that's, we're in the middle of something right now where my wife and I, between us, are owed a little right at $10,000, maybe slightly more. And it's for the world games. We just played all the world games, opening and closing ceremonies. We were all expecting to check the night we closed, and now they're like, "Oh no, it's it's probably thirty days after." So, this entire orchestra that played the World Games—we're we all waiting on money, and all of us are like, ah! "That's irritating," as you yeah. could well imagine. So, the unknowns with the freelance thing is uh, probably one of the one of the drags of our, our business. So, that, I guess that's a pet peeve. But gotcha. <laughs> that cool. may be too am I? too much information <laughs> no, that's right that's
0: right <laughs> non non-percussion related questions necessarily after this uh has anyone ever nailed an impression of you and if so how'd they
1: do it not to my knowledge but i do have a squeaky voice so you know i mean that they, they could probably do a. Uh, um, I think there was an actor one time. His name was Bruno Kirby. I don't know if you yeah. know that guy, but yeah. I, I think he had my voice, or I had his voice.
0: Yes. Um. Okay. I there. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's that something that somebody came up to you and be like, "Man, you sound like Bruno Kirby," and like, "Who?"
1: Well, it was. He was. In, he was in City Slickers. That's exact. And I watched it. I'm like, "Oh my god, do I sound like that?" Really? He's like, "Yeah, you do." <laughs>
0: Wow. All right. Next question. What is the most impractical item of clothing you own?
1: I have some Speedos left over from my swimming days early on. I will never wear those again. That's probably impractical.
0: (laughs) Well, you need, I won't wear those again. Well, you need new Speedos for when you do the Ironman. So.
1: No, no, no. I, I, nobody wears those anymore that used to be the thing when i started triathlons we would like start to swim with just a little speedos on and goggles man yeah yeah and a, and a you know hat um and then you'd pull your you know bike shorts on over those or ride right a lot of times i did triathlons riding bike in my speedos and then i'd put the uh the running thing over that um you know mm. but
0: yeah that, oh you, that, everyone wears the bodysuit, right at this or the dry or a tri
1: suit yeah, there's a tri suit now. You can swim, bike, and run in, and that's I have some of those. That's yeah. the way to go now. So yeah, gotcha. Little speedos are not not the thing you want to wear.
0: <laughs> or or you you when you see the people in it, you're like, oh, you're doing that. That you how you're doing this, <laughs> right? Like really? Yeah,
1: kind of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> gotcha, buddy. Oh, all right. What's your biggest kitchen
1: mess up? I like to cook. I can't think of a moment where I had a super debacle in the kitchen. I really can't. Isn't that funny? I, I've, I've been pretty lucky. I think all these years <laughs> we cook a lot.
0: Uh, are, are you a, are you a, a messy, are you like 50 pots and pans for, uh, for, nope. for po- Oh, you're, you're, it's, very contained i clean
1: as i go oh okay 100 yeah. percent. i clean okay. as i go yeah yeah while something's cooking i'm cleaning the other pan and so when i get finished there's one thing to clean and that's the one that's the last one in so yeah that's no, the I one clean. that has all the
0: food that the finished food yeah right yeah <laughs> that's good yeah. And if you're really thinking speed, you're just going to eat out of that. You're just like, why am I, why do I need to use a plate? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we've, we've talked a lot about your, um, your various sports careers, but I'm curious being someone who's grown up in the area, are
1: you, do you have a fandom? I'm horrible. Um, no, I don't. I mean, and I'm, I'm one of those horrible fans when they're really killing it. I, I want to watch and support, but you mean like the Braves last year? kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was the devoted Braves fan her entire lifetime. And, oh. and I embarrassingly, you know, I, I, I'm not, uh, I don't have a real sport. Um, you know, i watch golf golf than anything else, which my friends that are into football and baseball and basketball, they're like, you watch what? Yeah. I like to watch golf. I'm that weird guy, you know? But yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a big, big sports fan. In that regard should be. Do Do you have a favorite
0: or favorite pro golfer?
1: Oh wow, I like a lot of them. Now the kid that won yesterday, um, holy cow, twenty years old, man. Um, uh, you know, first win, uh, unbelievable. He was just an ice in the veins. I like Rory McElroy probably as much as anybody. I think he's just amazing. But I like I like I like most most of them. There's there's only a few that aren't great personalities out there. Um, I don't like those guys. You know if they're jerks to each other, or to the media, or to fans. But uh, yeah, I, I mean that's a hard gig. You talk about our gig is hard. Their gig holy crap you know every time i play golf i I, i'm so thankful i'm not trying to feed my family with that game right (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah, it's because it's all i mean it's like it's like tennis is the same way where it's like it's it's you're an independent contractor the whole time like you gotta you gotta win enough to cover your costs
1: (laughs) yeah and it's all you yeah that's right yeah, So you better not get injured.
0: Yeah. Have you ever uh, played
1: or walked Augusta National? I've, I've played in the Augusta Symphony two weeks before the Masters one time. That's as, That's close, as close as I ever got. And I looked down Magnolia Lane. I looked down at it through the fence. That's as close as I've been able to get. No, so...
0: Is that something you want to do or, or at least see? I've, I've heard from friends who've gone, who've just, they said like the, it's the most immaculate course you you can't even imagine.
1: It's, it's the Mecca. It is. It's, it's, and then the fact that that tournament's always played there is even more, you know, uh, interesting. Uh, It makes, it makes it unique actually. Um, I was there playing two weeks before and talked to one of the greenskeepers and you know, I was just chewing the breeze, having a beer. And I said, so this town's about to get crazy. He goes, tell me about it. I'm I'm one of the greenskeepers. I was like, oh, crap. So we're chatting. And it was a particular year where all the, the uh, flora and fauna is blooming too early. So he said, and I thought he was kidding. He was not. They have the largest ice contract on the planet. And they ice every azalea that might be in camera shot for the week coming up to the masters so they can stop the bloom. They put ice on all the azaleas and then come camera time, they're all blooming, but they can, they can act like mother nature and stop the blooming. That was fascinating to me. Wow. That They do. Yeah. Crazy. That's, that is crazy. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a great movie and a terrible movie.
1: Yeah. Well, this is cheesy. Uh, I, I still enjoy somewhere in time. My wife and I, we were dating. We were oh, yeah. somewhere in time. It's such a great story. Okay. Um, like that one. I mean, any of the Friday the 13th, I don't like the, the horror stuff too much. So, you know, I don't need to be scared. Life is scary enough. I don't need somebody to make me not sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't do those. <laughs> gotcha. All right. What about a, what's a favorite book? I don't read as much as I ought to. So, um, I mean, I enjoyed the, the Bernstein, you know, his Autobiography, I guess it would be, but the big Bernstein book, uh, enjoyed that. Um, I have a lot of books by my bed side table, so I just jump in every now and again and I don't have a favorite that I'll keep going back to.
0: All right. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Oh,
1: definitely Ireland. My wife and I are going to have 30 years anniversary in, um, in three years and we're doing the ireland trip so so uh lawless is irish and there's a lawless castle in the county of mayo which i'm really anxious to go find uh so yeah we'll do that so that's definitely a plan yeah nice
0: very cool uh all right strangest funniest or most bizarre performance moment that involves you
1: well there's a bunch yeah okay so here's one i'm doing a pictures okay mm-hmm. and at the um, <clears throat> at the end where you have the double you have double hits on timpani yeah. uh, both mallets and so i was here in chattanooga and i was on a riser and back of the trombones are right in front of me on a an riser and uh right where the gate happens i was like boom and i'll never forget this as long as i live one of my mallets broke in half i wasn't using bamboo i was using a uh, actually a clevelander uh, hardwood shaft, right? And I went, bam. And, and I saw it take off. <laughs> it broke. And I had this little nub in my hand and it's, it's airborne. Okay. And, and I, and I had to do all this stuff before the next hit. So I, I see it. So I took the nub and I threw it back and I'm watching this thing come down over a trombone player. It's this jagged stick. And I caught it. I caught it. Threw it, grabbed another stick, and went boom, and I hit the second lick. And it all happened like that. It was like, (laughs) good God. And I'll never forget, somebody in the audience, I was packing the drums down. I was about to drive home to Atlanta, and I'm wiping the heads down. And he goes, did you you toss a stick? Like, did you do a stick toss in that? (laughs) He saw it happen. I was like, "Oh my God, no!" But let me tell you what really happened. It was like, "Holy shit!" And I just, I saw this thing spinning down with a sharp edge coming, and I literally caught it like that. I mean, like, so, so it's coming down, and I caught it like that, and then threw it, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and grabbed the stick from my case and hit the second stroke because there's a measure or two in between. And I was playing it back in my head, like I could never, ever, ever do that again, right. in A million years. You couldn't practice
0: that at all.
1: No chance. No chance. <laughs> yeah.
0: Crazy. And then you you have to continue to play while your like brain is like, oh my gosh, did you did you
1: believe I just happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one died. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's crazy. And the,
1: the trombone player didn't die because you didn't impale him with your stick. He didn't even know it happened, man. It would yeah. all happen like that. That's crazy. <laughs> just crazy. <laughs>
0: Awesome. All right. Last question, John. What one piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently?
1: I've played a lot of operas. Um a lot of operas. And there's only a few that stick out. You know, the butterflies, the magic flutes come and go. We did Silent Night um and it's the story about the truce a uh, true story in World War one the truce that happened at uh, uh, Christmas Eve right and um it was so brilliantly done. Uh, the whole cast that did it with us were the ones that did the premiere so they had all done it a bunch of times and it, it made such a mark i I loved every every moment of it and i I think back on it 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 was one of the best stories I think ever and um great score. I remember talking to the guy that did the the lead Baritone. He he had been on every production that's ever happened with it at that point in time, and I said, "So how many have you done?" He said, whatever it was, you know, 150 performances. I said, "Does it does it ever get old?" He says, "Not one second of it ever gets old." Amazing, you know. But but I get it. Uh, so that you know that that may be it. That comes to mind first. So maybe that's what you're asking for, but. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Cuz it,
0: was it based on a like did, did did they base I know the the story, I know about that, but was that based on a movie or like and then it became an opera it, or did you... I,
1: Well, opera came after the fact, of course. I think it was a movie for sure. Okay. But it was staged wonderfully. You know, three languages going on and they you could it was staged this way so all the encampments were were literally this way so you could see them and then there was this common floor um, uh, just amazing but yeah it was very well done uh, production was, was stellar uh, music director came in the conductor came in and uh, she'd done it before she was incredible uh, so yeah it was, it was really a good experience um, very artsy yeah mm-hmm.
0: alright John we're done thank
1: you so much Woo-hoo! That's been great fun. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. I had a great time. Thank you. I did as well.
0: What a lot of fun it was to talk to John. Once again, thank you to Marcus Hawkins for the recommendation. And I wish John the best in his performing, teaching, and triathlete future. Looking forward to it. This week's rave is the 1999 novel Girl with a Pearl Earring, written by Tracy Chevalier. This is a work that I've been aware of for a long time, and I'm certainly aware of the movie version of the book, which I've seen, but this is definitely not a review of that Scarlett Johansson, Colin Firth vehicle. This book by Tracy Chevalier takes as its starting point the painting of the same name by Johannes Vermeer, the celebrated 17th century Dutch painter. The painting itself is a mystery. Like many, famous visual artworks involving portraits, such as, what was this person's life? Who's in this painting? What is that person thinking? Chevalier takes that starting point and focuses on Greet as the main character, a person from a family of very humble means who becomes a maid in the household of Johannes Vermeer, someone with a wife and six kids who is attempting to make ends meet in his slow, methodical approach to painting. Vermeer is also beholden to his benefactor, a man named Van Roojvin, and is dealing with the stresses of that situation. Greet is also being courted by the local butcher's son while attempting to find a place in this newer, more upscale world. I'm typically not a fan of historical fiction, but I've read works like this that are not super long, and I think that works better for me as a reader. This novel is about 240 pages or so, and Chevalier does both a good job of world building, while also keeping the action moving along fairly quickly. One of the other aspects I really enjoyed about the book were the scenes regarding actual painting. One portion of the novel includes a time when Greet becomes a somewhat assistance to Vermeer, and Vermeer gets her to understand why it takes so long to paint these works of his. It's here when Vermeer asks her to see the colors involved in the sun, the walls, etc., and Greet starts with, let's say, yellow, but then is moved to see the hints of white and blue that would appear in something that just looks like a solid color at first. No matter the art form, the craft of that art form has always appealed to me, and this was a great scene. The relationships between Greet and the other characters in the book are also well-explained and fully formed. Now, this novel's been out for a while, but it's very good and enjoyable. And if you have not, or you want to check it out again, read Girl with a Pearl Earring by Tracy Chevalier. You'll be glad you did. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at petezambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's perk pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time until then.